Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The lesson from today is from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the territory of Judea, during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from east to Jerusalem. They asked, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and everyone else in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and legal experts and asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote, You, Bethlehem, land of Judah. By no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search for carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me, so that I too may honor him. When they heard the king, they went. And look, the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them, until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child was Mary's mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. They opened their treasure chest and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went home by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the third chapter, the first eight verses. This is why I, Paul, am a prisoner of Christ for you Gentiles. You've heard, of course, about the responsibility to distribute God's grace which God gave to me for you, right? God showed me his secret plan in a revelation. As I mentioned briefly before, when you read this, you'll understand my insight into the secret plan about Christ. Earlier generations didn't know this hidden plan that God has now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets through the Spirit. The plan is that the Gentiles would be co-heirs and parts of the same body, and that they would share with the Jews in the promises of God in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I became a servant of the gospel because of the grace that God showed me through the exercise of his power. God gave his grace to me, the least of all God's people, to preach the good news about the immeasurable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. God sent me to reveal the secret plan that had been hidden since the beginning of time by God, who created everything. This is the word of the Lord. It was an epiphany, a life-changing, road-altering insight. In the early 90s, a young mother is invited to bring her blue-collar family to join a wealthy friend for a winter's day sail off the coast of Long Island on a gorgeous yacht. 
They are having a lovely sail with their glasses of red wine when strong wind and choppy waves pitch the boat to one side, sending glasses flying, broken glass and Merlot coating the yacht's prized teak deck. Joy, the hard-working mom in the film of the same name, quickly does what comes naturally to her, what she always does. She moves to clean it up. Grabbing a mop and bucket, she frantically soaks up the vino before the stains spoil the pristine surface. Wringing out the mop, squeezing a mixture of water, glass, and wine from the cotton mop head, she is suddenly pained by the glass shards bloody and embedded in her hands. And then comes a moment of insight. Could there not be a better mop? Perhaps the self-wringing one? One with a detachable head? Her epiphany was this insight, a vision that unfolds over the course of a two-hour movie and about two years of Joy's life. The epiphany changes everything as she follows it with courage all the way through financial risk and family loss and the downsides of success. The change she had been looking for in her life to provide for her family, to contribute to the world, to make her childhood dream of being an inventor a reality, well, it comes to her as she bends down to clean that deck. Epiphanies happen, and they change lives. 20th Century Fox is not alone in portraying powerful epiphanies this holiday season. Universal Pictures is not to be outdone by offering another soon-to-be Oscar-nominated story of epiphany, perhaps a more challenging story because of the groundbreaking territory this epiphany traverses. Living a deeply meaningful life of love and art in Copenhagen, the landscape painter Einar Weiner and his wife Gerda are deliriously happy working side by side in their studio. When Gerda's female model fails to show one morning, Einar reluctantly agrees to put on nylon stockings and heels. He holds a satin dress to his body so his beloved wife can finish her work on time for the dealer. They laugh as he endures the embarrassment of wearing women's clothing. But in that moment, something happens to Einar. A feeling is awakened that he is surprised by a revelation, a sense long repressed since childhood, unable to define it exactly. It is a kind of gender confusion, a recognition that there is a feminine person inside of him. Largely unknown and unspoken about back then, these feelings are particularly destabilizing and mysterious to Einar, who hadn't been looking to change his life at all. But he stays with that epiphany moment, unable to turn away, and over the course of a two-hour movie, Einar moves through internal agony, persistent experimentation with an alternate persona, diagnoses of mental illness, risk, and loss to the emergence of his truly authentic self. Insights give way to cataclysmic change for his wife and his life and his art. Breaking new ground, he takes specific steps to physically become Lily Elba, the woman he found inside of him who would become an early pioneer in the transgender movement. Gerda's unconditional love holds Einar secure as this epiphany leads to courageous and groundbreaking kind of change in 1930. 
The story of the Danish girl is a challenging story of what can happen when epiphanies happen. They can change lots of lives. Epiphanies, mere moments of insight, flashes of truth, revelations, they are not the same thing as uncomplicated clarity. Think of the epiphany moments that you have had when something has been revealed, something new was disclosed. Epiphanies can be powerful. They can shake things up. Sometimes, though, they are quiet insights that leave us unsettled and uncomfortable while more information comes to light. As the doorway to something not seen before, something surprising and unexpected, epiphanies have the power to be transformative. Movies are great at depicting major epiphanies, but they compress them and their aftermath to just a few hours, leaving out the most bothersome details for the ones which play well on screen and feel good to the viewer. In real life, epiphanies, for better or worse, shape our lives in ways that are sometimes complicated, sometimes dramatic, sometimes subtle and slow to emerge. They come from within us, When we are lucky, we sense that they come from God, like a divine calling. Well, that first epiphany, that which officially ends the season of Christmas, all 12 days of it, is certainly dramatic, as major as they come, and also slow to emerge. It was a process of days and probably weeks, and it commemorates the revealing of the birth of Jesus to the world that we Gentiles and all people are included in the gift of love come down to earth. It is a revelation prophesied about in Isaiah's Arise text that the choir will sing. It is fulfilled in the story of the Magi. It is made known through the testimony of disciples like Paul in his letters, one to whom the mystery of Epiphany was revealed that it might be shared as gospel truth for everyone. The Magi, likely not kings at all, but astrologers from Babylon with a large entourage, spent their lives studying the stars. And when they noticed the star, a major mysterious celestial event, they knew it pretended something cataclysmic and world-altering like the birth of a king. But then the dumbest wise guys on the planet decided to consult the current king, Herod, to find out who this new king might be. Like us, just because they have an epiphany, an insight, doesn't mean they immediately know what to do with it. Herod was just as clueless, at least about this babe, but now he was also very threatened. A state of being that would soon lead to the deaths of all baby boys in Bethlehem under the age of two. Undeterred, the Magi continue their search, caravanning towards Bethlehem in pursuit of what it meant until they found it there at the manger, a new kind of king, the kind of king that sleeps in a feeding trough, the one who is named the promised ruler of Israel and a king for all the people. Their epiphany is an epiphany to us. If this text says nothing else to you, hear this. God chose foreigners to be the first visitors, outsiders to be the first proclaiming him as God's anointed. Imagine what this says about the generosity and goodness of God to all God's people, the implications of God's unconventional work even in our world today. 
The Magi's visit to the baby goes viral from the Bethlehem Times to CNN. Astrologers from the East had, showed up to, had shown up to worship a child presenting odd yet suitable gifts, gold for the king, frankincense for the deity, and myrrh for the savior he will die and rise to become. Arise, for he is the light to which Isaiah and John pointed, born not only for God's people Israel, but to bring salvation for every human soul. What a revelation. He was known as their Lord. He became known as our Lord. More epiphanies come, insights and dreams, and they return home by another way, changed on a different road, no longer able to view the world as they did before, no longer answering to Herod as an earthly king. And so now neither do we answer to any earthly king. Epiphanies happen, and they can change lots of lives. Large or medium or small, those unexpected insights, those eureka moments with the power to transform. We are a church of people trying to live as Jesus taught us faithfully and generously. We are individuals pursuing deeper relationships with love incarnate in Christ. At this doorway to 2016, will there be any insights, any revelations to change our lives? Well, of course. God's very nature has not changed as the calendar turned. God will give us conversion moments, opportunities for turning our lives around, times when we will see that we must change our direction, light to see more of the dark places within our own hearts that we cannot understand. The Divine One loves to show up this way. God delights in revealing truth to us. Are we open to receive it? To Mary, the mother of Jesus, the epiphany was given that she was a pregnant virgin. To Elizabeth, her elderly cousin, the ridiculous insight that she was going to give birth. To Saul, the persecutor on the road to Damascus, a flash so full of insight that he is struck blind with his eyes until he opens them as Paul, the greatest apostle in spreading God's story to the world. In less dramatic ways, where has God shown up with insight that changed your life? How about in the world? So many good things have happened through these epiphany moments. When insight came, clarity and direction and vision, a revelation, it's, it's a wonder of God. We do not limit ourselves to finding God's direction through epiphanies. But today we celebrate that they are one way God works to change lives and to change the world. And yet knowing God loves epiphany so much... Why did the transforming one seem so rare? It would seem like a pretty useful tool at God's disposal. Is there no God-given insight for abortion clinic bombers? For those who go to church on Sunday and sell bad mortgages on Monday? For those who use the Bible to refute climate change? Are there no revelations for disenfranchised teens currently surfing the internet to learn about jihadism? Or white supremacists who can only see a God who looks like them? If God so loves epiphanies, why are any of us still stuck in a boring job, staring at possible bankruptcy, estranged from a child or parent, tortured by weight but comforted by food, aimless in life without a sense of purpose? 
Where is the insight, the revelation, the light and the darkness? If God so loves epiphanies, why leave us with these moments of doubt, so many desperate clerics for clarity, so much disunity in the Christian faith? We know that God can send us home from this manger by another way. That's how the story goes. But here we are. Nothing is different. Same road, same problems. Feels like we're due for a life-changing, world-altering epiphany, doesn't it? But God is the author of our story. God's timing is God's, and so we are to wait patient, hopeful, thoughtful that God knows the ending that we cannot possibly see. We wait, attuned and attentive to God's work in our lives. And in those moments when you are praying for a sign and it doesn't come, it's okay to feel that our God has unbelievably bad timing. Sometimes I do. And then, then I remember the Magi and Paul and all those other recipients of divine insight, including you and me. God gives epiphanies in the midst of our ordinary lives when we are doing what we are meant to do. The Magi, Janet Hunts writes, were simply living their lives to their natural conclusions. Their life's work was studying the stars, and when they saw a star which seemed to hold such meaning, all they could do, if they were to be true to who they were called to be, was to follow its direction. Maybe like those Magi from so long ago, she says, Our first calling is simply to be who we were made to be, do what we were made to do, and to keep our ears and eyes and hearts open. We know that Paul was doing what he was called to do. With his skills of zeal and persuasion, this Hebrew Pharisee was successfully persecuting Jesus-following heretics when God came in an epiphany moment, converting him from persecuting Christians to leading them See, our first calling is to be who God has made us to be, always keeping our eyes and ears and hearts open for what God has for us. And that is where, that is where it is not only on God, but on us. Be true to God and who God made you to be. Do what you are called to do as well as you can. In the midst of an unhappy work life, a family disagreement, a midlife crisis, in grief, in boredom, in uncertainty, keep those eyes and ears and hearts open. Keep coming to church and to that table. Invite others to join you and then live in a way that they'll want to. It is then that the signs will come. The path will have a light. You will arise to the decisions you are to make with courage and to make them. The God of Epiphany will show up. Change happens. It's only a matter of time. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We are missing the remaining portion of the audio from this service. Please join me with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Mm -hmm.
Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.